The reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 34, verses 4 to 8. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. <coughs> and he carried the two stone tablets in his hand. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. Amen. So one of the things that I've done as an icebreaker before with young people, which can be quite fun, and actually I've done it a few times with adults as well, it can be quite amusing, um, is that I've done this thing where I say, um, hands up if you've got a good friend in the room. And so some hands go up. There you go. Like, see, Sue's hands up. That's good, isn't it? No one else's hand was up. That's really sad, isn't it? Um, uh, but... I say, okay, you two know each other then. Yeah, 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 we're best mates. Okay, come on up then. What I want you to do then, um, you've each got a piece of paper and you've got a pen and I'm going to ask you some questions and you've got to answer them. But the question's going to be about your friend, not about you. Oh, okay. So they sit back to back so they can't see what they're writing. And then I say stuff like, okay, what's your friend's favourite band at the moment? What's their favourite song? Or what, what's their favourite food? If they could have only one food, what would it be? Or what's their favourite like, hobby? What do they love doing when they're not at school? Anyway, so they're scribbling down and you can see some of them going, oh yeah, I know that one, and they're scribbling down. And then I, I, I have a little bit of fun, so I go, and what's their worst habit? And it's really interesting to see what comes out of that. And then when they share back to see whether they really did know their friend or not, and sometimes they get surprised and go, oh, but you said this. Yeah, yeah, I do like that, but I like this too. Oh, right, well, oh, like this. And then, I can't believe you thought that's my worst habit. So it's quite fun. It is quite fun, and you can have a lot of fun with that. And I've sometimes done it with spouses as well. That's even more fun. Um, but... Um, the purpose of the game is to try and see how well the other person knows you. And perhaps if we did the game here today, um, it might bring up some interesting results. But I wonder what your closest friend would say about you. In the Hebrew scriptures, order is a clue to what's most important. And we've been thinking about Yahweh, the Lord, over the last few weeks. We have the same passage every week because we're digging into this passage over the course of the coming weeks. And we're asking in the question, who is God? What's he about? And as I said, in the scripture, in the Hebrew scripture, order is really important. The fact that compassionate and gracious is at the top of the list of Yahweh's character traits 
means that it's the dominant one, the most important thing there is to know about him. The phrase compassionate and gracious is a word pairing in Hebrew, and I'll probably pronounce it wrong because I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but Rahum Wihanun. Um, Lucy's probably tuning in going, that is not how you pronounce it at all, Chris. But hey, you know, grace, gracious and compassionate. That's what we're looking at today, isn't it? Uh, Rahum Wihanun. Now, not only do these two words sound similar, they sound alike, but they are laid side by side to explain each other. A bit like those two friends trying to explain who they are. Now, Rahum, or compassionate, is often translated as mercy, but its root word meaning is womb-like. It's great, isn't it? Womb-like. Now, this is something I've touched on before on Mothering Sunday. It's that deep maternal instinct that mothers have for their children. Now, a few years back, when one of our children was tired after nursery, so this is going back a good decade, I reckon, um, when one of our children was really weary and tired after nursery, they wanted snuggles with their mummy. And my wife, Kate, said, nothing makes my uterus flip more than when my babies need me. And though we find ourselves now in the teenage era... That is still the case. (laughs) We have to dig a little deeper for it, maybe. But we still deeply love our children. And and I'm sure Kate's uterus still flips when her babies need her. And this is how God feels towards you. He says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. That's from Isaiah 49. And in Psalm 103, which we heard a little bit this morning as we begun our worship, we see a direct quote of Exodus 34, verse 6. Did you pick up on that? Where it says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. And then the psalmist then describes this compassion, Rahum, of Yahweh further. He says, As a father has compassion on his children... So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. God as a loving and devoted parent may be a really helpful image for you. It may resonate with your earthly experience. For some of you, this image really doesn't hit the mark. It doesn't resonate with you because you've not had a great earthly experience of being parented. And perhaps you struggle to see God in this way. As someone who struggled with my family upbringing, particularly with my relationship with my dad and then my stepdad, it's taken time for me to see God as a good father. But one of the things that has helped me to understand that is becoming a father myself. I feel like I've got a deeper knowledge of God and the way he operates as our father because I've become one. The joys, the struggles, the celebrations, the heartaches, the frustrations. (sighs) Yes. We're going to be thinking about slow to anger next week. (laughs) 
But there's this deep felt, parental emotive, visceral, in the marrow of your bones kind of love that grows in me for my children. And I came to see that this is just an echo of how God feels about me, feels about you. Just let that sink in for a moment. So Raham, or compassionate, is a feeling word. In contrast, Hanan, or gracious, is an action word. It means to show grace or to show favor. It's the image of helping someone out in a tough spot. And this word is seen in various places throughout the scripture to show how God saves and rescues his people out of a tough spot. And he's done that time and time again, hasn't he? (laughs) One of the examples of this that I love is when God speaks to Moses at the burning bush and he says this to Moses in Exodus 3, verses 7 to 8. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. Can you see this compassionate and graciousness working there? How deeply God feels for his people. I have heard their crying. I am concerned about their suffering. I have seen their misery. And I'm doing something about it. And Moses, despite all your protestations, you're going to help me do this. We're going to rescue them. Like a parent, God feels deeply for his children. And when they are in trouble, he comes to their rescue. Now, this all sounds really lovely and very comforting, doesn't it? But there's also a side to God's mercy that's not so easy to swallow. Do you remember Jonah? Do you remember Jonah? Do you remember the series we did on Jonah last year? The prophet Jonah was asked by Yahweh to go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness had come up before the Lord. Now, given how awful the Ninevites were, how awful they'd been to God's people and other nations who opposed them, and it was truly sadistic and brutal. If you want to know more about it, tune into the sermon series. They're online still on our website last, last year. I think it was May time. Now, given the fact that they're so brutal and sadistic in their way they treat others, you would think that Jonah would jump, jump at the chance to preach against them. But that's not how the story goes, is it? Not initially. Instead, he sailed off in the complete opposite direction from Nineveh. God had to bring a storm, which eventually made the sailors chuck him overboard. 
And then he was swallowed up by a big fish. He had some thinking time in the big fish. And then the fish spat him out near Nineveh. And so he reluctantly got on with the job he was asked to do. And so he goes around Nineveh and he preaches against them. And you know what happens? The Ninevites, much to our surprise, repent of their wickedness and they say sorry to Yahweh and ask for his mercy. And then we read this in chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. He relented. He changed his mind. He had mercy on them. And Jonah was not happy about this. And he prayed to Yahweh saying, isn't this what I said, Lord? Yahweh, when I was still at home, this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing over to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Quite a drama queen, isn't he? But you know, there's nothing wrong with his theology. He chose to run away because he did not want the possible chance of Nineveh receiving mercy. That's how much faith he had in his God. That's how well he knew his God. Didn't I say, he said, I knew, I knew you couldn't help yourself. <laughs> That's essentially what he's saying, isn't it? Oh, you're so compassionate and gracious. Oh, can't you just judge them? Jonah is mad because Yahweh has been gracious and compassionate to his enemies. But aren't we all like that occasionally? We're happy to receive Yahweh's compassion and graciousness for ourselves. Hey, you know, we're even happy for those closest to us to receive his compassion and grace and mercy. But what about those people we would call our enemies? Those people that we feel are undeserving of it. Those people that are different from us, annoy us, speak against us, or have hurt us deeply. As I've said before, the story of Jonah holds up a mirror to our lives. Most of us want mercy for ourselves and judgment for those who have hurt us. And Yahweh is just and righteous. He doesn't let the guilty go unpunished. And we'll be looking at this in due course. But one of the things you need to know about Yahweh is that his baseline emotion towards you, towards humanity, to those created in his image, is mercy. It's mercy. And we see that time and time again 
through the character of Jesus. Jesus said he causes his son, the father causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Which is why Jesus encourages us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. So that we may be children of our heavenly father. That we might reflect his compassion and graciousness, his mercy to a world that so badly needs it. God is way more gracious and compassionate than we give him credit for. And one of the stories that captures this better than any other is the story of the prodigal son that Jesus told. Now, it's a story that we all know well, most of us. There's two sons, the youngest, always the youngest, isn't it? I am an elder son, so, uh, you know, you can see where I probably fit (laughs) in this story. But the youngest son of the two, he wants to go off and live it up. He wants to live the life. He's fed up of working at home. He wants to let loose, cut free, and get on and have a good time. And so he says to his father, look, give me my share of the inheritance now. I want to go. I want to live it up. And as you probably know, to ask his father for that inheritance is, is as good as saying, I want you dead. I want you to die so that I can have what's owing to me. I want my money. And he takes it. The father gives it to him. That's a big one. The father gives that to him. And he heads off. And he lives it up. He has a brilliant time. To begin with anyway. And then he runs out of money. And a famine comes on the land that he's in. And suddenly he finds himself in the mud and the dirt, feeding pigs, unholy, not kosher animals. And he comes to his senses in that moment and says, what am I doing? Who have I become? Why am I here in this mud, feeding pigs, even wanting the food of those pigs? Oh my life, what the heck has happened? And he brings himself round and says, do you know what? I'm going to try and head home because even the servants in my father's house have food to eat and clothes to wear. I'm going to go home. I'm going to say to my dad, I'm sorry. I messed up. I'm really sorry. Just please, please take me as one of your servants and I'll do whatever I need to do. So he's He's preparing himself to walk home. He's walking home and he's rehearsing this speech. Have you ever done that? You're rehearsing a speech. You've really upset someone. You know you've blown it big time and you're thinking, right, I've got to get my words right. And you're going over and over your speech. And that's what he's doing on the way home. And then we hear this. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion And he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. 
the wayward son started his speech, (laughs) but he didn't get chance to finish it. The father swept him up in his arms and said, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Now, the older son, well, he's out working in the fields like the dutiful son he is. And as he comes home tired and weary from another hard day's work, he hears the music and the cheering and the smell of good food. And he asks one of the servants, what's going on? And when the older son finds out, He's so delighted that he goes in and he hugs his brother and he says, I'm so glad you're back. I've missed you. I've missed you so much. It's not been the same without you. And he joins in the celebrations. Be a great way to end the story, wouldn't it? But no. The older son refuses to go in. He's very angry Indeed, a bit like Jonah. And so the father comes out to see him and to reason with him. And the son's not happy. He's like, all these years, I've been slaving away for you. I've been working in the field. I've not complained once. And then this son of yours, this son of yours, comes back from spending all your money on prostitutes and wild living and living it up and then you kill the best animal we have for him when you haven't even given me as much as a goat to celebrate with my friends. And then the father says, my son, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now is found. When we hear this story, just like the story of Jonah... It convicts our heart. And we cannot help but relate to one of the sons. Which one do you resonate with most? Perhaps it's the younger son. Perhaps you've had wild living and you never feel quite good enough for the father. You always feel somewhat lacking, that you're not quite good enough. Perhaps you resonate more with the older son. You've been the good boy, the good girl. You've done all the right things. You feel God owes you something. But do you know As I read this parable again, 
thinking about the theme of the fact that God is gracious and compassionate. For me, this parable became about the Father. These stories, these characters, set the stage for Yahweh's character to shine through. The compassionate and gracious God. And this is how Jesus viewed God. As a compassionate and gracious father, a merciful parent who feels deeply for their children and actively waits for them to return home. And when they do, runs towards them with arms wide open and embraces them with a bear hug so tight that you can't help but know you are loved and you are forgiven. Is this how you view God? Is this how you view God? This is how Jesus understood his heavenly father and this is what he demonstrated in all of his ministry. Did you notice that both the sons were lost in their own way? And the father came out to both of them. Both of them. He wants them both to know and experience his love. He wants both to return to him, to come in and feast with him. And as we come to the table of the Lord, the love feast this morning, we are encouraged, just like the sons in the story, to come in and feast with him, to come in and experience his love and compassion through Jesus Christ. He says to each one of you, I am your father. And I love you even as I love my son, Jesus. For in Jesus, my love for you is revealed. He is the exact representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I am for you, not against you. And to tell you that I am not counting your sins against you. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love. I gave up everything I loved that I might gain your love. If you receive the gift of my son, Jesus, you receive me. And nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Come home. And I'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. I have always been your father. And will always be your father. My question is, will you be 
my child. Will you come and receive what your heavenly father has for you? Or will you choose to stay outside?